0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 179 of the Speaking Club podcast. This week, I want to open the show with this from punstoppable.com. A Kung Fu student asks his teacher, Master, why does my ability not improve? I'm always defeated. And the master, pensive and forever patient, answers, My dear pupil, have you seen the gulls flying by the setting sun? and their wings seeming like flames? Yes, Master, I have. And a waterfall, spilling mightily over the stones without taking anything out of its proper place. Yes, Master, I have witnessed it. And the moon, when it touches the calm water to reflect all its enormous beauty. Yes, my Master, I have also seen this marvellous phenomenon. That is the problem who keep watching all of this crap instead of training. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So. If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello, hello! Lovely to be with you again. I hope you're well. We're full throttle in my house. We've just moved into our new home. We're rehearsing to perform in Edinburgh in August, and I'm getting married in September. I'm not going to lie, I'm exhausted. But it's brilliant to be back performing again. And if you're in the UK and you're planning to go to the Edinburgh Fringe in the middle of August, do come and check out the play I'm in, Rossetti's Women. OK, so on to today's show. Well, I'm so excited for you to meet Avish Parashar. Now, Avish is one of those rare examples of someone who made his passion his business. Because so many of us settle for less than what makes our heart sing. In love with performance growing up, when he started college, he resigned himself to following a traditional and more secure career path to please his family. Then one day, he saw improv comedy and everything changed. In this show, Avish shares his journey and how he ended up teaching organisations valuable business skills through improvisation. He's an in-demand speaker, weaving together humorous stories, jokes, audience interaction and improv comedy games to keep the audience engaged while imparting key lessons. So not only are you going to learn some new business skills through improv, but you'll also discover some great speaking tips to keep your audience engaged and entertained. So let's switch over to the interview right now. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Avish Parashar.
1: Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: More than welcome. I I first saw you, I used you as a case study for my audience in terms of a great talk. And uh, and so I on the back of that and the back of the subject matter that I saw you talking about, I thought he would be a great guest to have on the show to share some fantastic things. So I'm very excited to
1: have you on. Wow, now, that's exciting! I don't think you mentioned that to me when you when you reached out about being on your show. Yeah,
0: uh, well, yeah, that was that was. This great way for finding. So I, I'm breaking down some talks, and actually, it's a great way of finding good guests for the show. <laughs> sure, so, yeah. uh, so that's how you came to my attention, and and also I think you did a great article which I read as well. So um, and yeah, so anyway, there we go. So I wanted to ask you first of all. Now your um, passion is improv and that's what you've built your career around Mm -hmm. can you remember back to when you saw your first improv show where were you in your life what made you fall in love with it and what happened next
1: uh sure so uh, i'm gonna answer that a little bit sideways so i had seen improv here and there and i never really thought it was my thing and i did just straight theater in high school and when i went to college i knew how much time theater took So I said, I'm not gonna get involved in productions. I'm going to get an engineering degree. Uh, So, and But just hanging out with friends, I'd always be kind of funny and quick. And one of my friends said, you should try out for the improv comedy group on campus. And my initial response, and for anyone who knows improv, my initial response was yes, but. I said, yes, but I do scripted theater. Yes, but I'm not an improv. And I barely even knew what improv was. And this went on for months where he kept trying to tell me to go see a show. And I just kept saying, now it's not for me. And then one weekend he arranged it where he had a friend coming in from out of town, but he had something to do for a little while. So he said, hey, can you hang out with my buddy? I said, sure. And then my friend Matt said, oh, by the way, the improv group is having a show. You guys could go see it. And I'm like, oh, you got me fine. I'll finally go see the group. And I did. And that, to your question, that is when I fell in love. Um, it just honestly, the first thought I had was just, it just looked like so much fun. You know, I laughed from start to finish and the performers looked like they're having such a great time. And at the end of the show, they said, hey, by the way, we're having auditions next week. If anyone's interested, uh, come on out. And I just went out to do it because it looked like fun and I got in and that's when everything started.
0: Brilliant. And so, So what happened next? Because you were doing this engineering degree.
1: Yes. So for the first couple of years, this was freshman year, first year. And it was just something I was doing for fun. I had no aspirations of performing or acting, but really it was other people started telling me towards the end of my college run, they're asking, oh, are you going to pursue this? Are you going to do any acting? You're very good at it. And that put the bug in my ear uh, so that by the time we got towards the end of college, I said, all right, uh, I love doing this. I'm good at it. Let me continue on with it. So I started my own improv group in Philadelphia with the dream of turning it into the second city of Philadelphia someday, which didn't happen. But along the way, I learned a whole lot. I had a lot of fun. And you know, through that is when I started doing some corporate team building workshops, which is what eventually made me decide to kind of springboard to this new career.
0: So what I was interested in was whether you'd done any conventional jobs alongside or you'd gone straight into improv kind of full-time.
1: Got it. So yeah, I did do quote-unquote regular jobs. Uh, Improv comedy is wonderful, but doesn't pay the bills so well. Uh, So I used my engineering degree as a computer programmer working in a few different IT fields uh, for a while and then eventually i hit the crossroads where uh, i did try to do the improv full time and that didn't work so great like i said it's a hard way to make a living so i started that's when i really launched into the the corp uh, the team building training speaking model
0: that's exactly what i was going to get at so i cuz obviously a lot of what you do speaks to some of the issues that people working in a corporate environment have challenges with it you know that that make the organization's performance better, teams better, and so mm-hmm. on. And it was, I was just curious as to whether you'd, you'd had experience of that. And obviously, you have, which is great. So, what were those immediate challenges that you have, sort of uh, how positioning yourself and your content for that corporate audience? Was it difficult to get traction?
1: Yes, um, partly because what I was doing was unique the grammar police will, will tell me I'm wrong to say this, but it wasn't totally unique. Uh, you know, some people say it's either unique or not. So my, you know, there are other people out there doing improv for business and, but it's not like, Oh, I'm a leadership speaker or consultant. And so when you, there was a lot of positioning issues with, if you lead with improv comedy, people get confused. If you don't mention it, it's not very true to who I am or my expertise. Uh, I was also clueless, you know, because I didn't have a nice strategic entry into speaking, it was more, well, I don't know what to do now. And I kind of thought maybe I'd want to be a speaker someday. So let me just do it. Uh, I didn't have that time to build up a list of clients and referrals and testimonial and test things out. Uh, so I just jumped in and, you know, I, I joined the National Speakers Association or I started attending, and that was very helpful. It helped me figure some things out around positioning. And a lot of it was just getting out and speaking. So here, and I guess it's international. uh, I spoke at a lot of rotary clubs and service clubs just to get the, my name out there, make connections that led to some business and just marketing to associations and HR groups. And most people, when I started said it takes about three to five years to really get your speaking business going. I think it can happen much faster than that. For me, it took much longer (laughs) because I didn't know what I was doing. I love that. I love the fact that you
0: are completely honest there. So So you were doing this on the side while you were building this up? Or did you just like, had you gone all in by then?
1: Uh, A little of both. I did a little on the side. I did for a little while uh, find a a beautiful part-time job that gave me the flexibility in my hours to be able to continue to do this. But for a lot of it was just on my own. Fortunately, I was a single person uh, with low expenses, so I didn't need that much money. And again, brutal honesty, uh, I was very fortunate and privileged to have parents who were pretty supportive. Uh, so, you know, there were definitely times I had to make that awkward phone call and ask for a little help. Uh, and I know a lot of people aren't in that position, so I definitely count my blessings for that. But mostly it was, yeah, jumping in and and figuring it out.
0: So that was the, the ramen noodle phase of your life. Kind the of, of <laughs> yeah.
1: And the, the credit card <laughs> debt phase of my life. <laughs> so, I mean,
0: this is what I love about you. I, I love the fact that you have followed your passion, and a lot of people talk about it, but a lot of people give up when it gets hard. And and I know, you know, I've got a performance background, and and the kind of stuff that I do is to is to finance the theatre stuff that we want to do because, like you say, mm-hmm. it's it's hard. It doesn't it doesn't pay. But I love the way that you've managed to combine the two, which is fantastic. And now I want to shift into improv for corporates so you Mm -hmm. talk a lot about ding moments now i've done improv i know what that is but for those people who well i know what it is in an improv context perhaps not in a in a corporate context or an organization business context could you share about that
1: sure so this comes from my uh my keynote which is ding happens uh which also is my website quick plug (laughs) dinghappens.com
0: don't worry we're going to be plugging don't worry
1: excellent (laughs) Uh, but there's an improv game called ding and it has a few names, but I learned it as ding where the, there's a number of ways of playing it. The way I play it is I give a volunteer a bell and I start telling a story. And anytime they ring the bell, the bell goes ding. I have to change the story. So if the story is once upon a time, there was a man who was the lawyer ding. Once upon a time, there was a man who was an accountant ding, who was a bounty hunter ding, who was a star Wars memorabilia collector, like whatever. And every time they ring the bell, I change. And when they stop ringing and I keep going, but now the story is completely different. Now it's about a Star Wars collector instead of a lawyer. And so I open my keynotes with this. And then that becomes the metaphor for the entire talk and presentation, which is life. This is how life works is you're going in one direction, you have your plan, your story, and then ding, the universe throws you a curveball or something changes. You know, right now is 2021. We're all living through the biggest ding moment any of us have had in our lifetimes with coronavirus. So it's just, you know, anyone can do well when everything goes according to plan. And, you know, I think we're paid and our value we bring to our organizations or clients or customers is how we respond when things don't go according to plan. And so that kind of becomes the ding moments and ding happens like, you know, planning is important, but what ultimately separates people who succeed from those who struggle is not just how well they plan, but how well they can improvise and respond when those ding moments occur.
0: I love that. That's so cool. So what I wanted to ask you was, mm-hmm. in your life, what have been the biggest ding moments and how did improv help you?
1: Well, there's two approaches to answering that question. One is the learning from my mistakes, which is the when I had those ding moments and I didn't follow the principles that I teach and looking back on how much it slowed me down and set me back. Uh, And I do have an example or two on the other side, which is probably what you were actually asking. Um, But it's funny. I tell a story in my keynotes about, I mean, as something as, as personal as going through a breakup and then just hating that change. And even though the person wasn't right for me and we ended on good terms and it was a perfect way to walk away and move on, like, I started missing it and didn't like the change. And so I just got hung up and spent months, I mean, for a while trying to get back together with the person. And then even not just feeling sad about it and just how much of my life I wasted Um, Now, again, I'm not saying you can't be sad emotions have their place. But just, I mean, I teach people to like look forward and embrace the change and find opportunity in it. And I spent months not doing that. Uh, Similarly, you know, I had a brand for a while uh, called uh, motivational smartass.com, which was a website and I liked it, but it was not the right fit for me. I liked it more conceptually. And that's just one that it wasn't working, but I just hung on to it for probably three years, which is probably two years longer than I should have. And that's real time that I lost figuring things out, making money, blah, blah, blah. So it's easier to learn the lesson sometimes looking back when I didn't apply it. The ways I have applied it though, um, are, for example, when I did finally move on from that, uh, that motivational smart thing, the easiest thing would be to just go back to what I was doing before, right. Which is my keynotes, but, I had the the sobering thought, which was that if my business wasn't where I wanted it to be, it's because I wasn't good enough yet. And so for me, this applies the improv principle of using the interruption or change to get better. So instead of just going back, I said, all right, how can I redo things in a completely different way now? And I literally threw out my keynote that I had been doing and rebuilt it up. Now, what the final product ended up being about 60% old material, but the 40% of new really made a difference because that's when I could see my career start to elevate. So it was when I fully embraced the change and not just accepting it, but using a yes and to say, yes, and we're going to get better. Uh, and the other place, like it shows right now with, with the same principle in the, in the pandemic, the, the first thought I had and that most people had, which is how can I keep my business going? Um, and with what I do with entertainment, humor, interactivity, most of my events were canceling. It was very hard. And so all I was doing was ask saying the thing I tell everyone not to do, which is just ask, "I can't wait to get back to where we were before, right? So I said, what you know how, what do you want to do that's better? How can you use this interruption to your advantage? It took a while. It's not a none of these are silver bullet like, oh, but experimentation playing. And for the past three months now, I've been working on something completely new. Improv related, actually not very much speaking related, but it's got me more creatively energized than anything I've done in the past 20 years. It's a podcast. It's it's hopefully coming out soon. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that could be the springboard to more speaking work, potentially, but more entertainment work. Um, but it's all because of that. Hey, things have changed. How can I use this to my advantage? How can I use it to spur my creativity instead of just looking at it as an obstacle to overcome?
0: And one of the things that I remember from when I was doing improv um, and also I think it applies to to comedy, actually to speaking to anything, which is which is kind of what you're saying as well, which is you've got to kill your darlings. They're not serving you. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I know that when when people went into an improv exercise with, you know, a really defined outcome that they wanted. Mm -hmm. it really messed things up, you know, when they didn't roll with the punches, when they didn't, you know, so, and I can see that it's such a wonderful metaphor for a life, for business, to be resourceful and resilient and persistent and just sort of see where things can take you rather than living in the should have, would have, could have, you know, parts, which is where a lot of people spend their time. So I love that. That's, that's really cool.
1: The key to innovation, I think, as a, as a speaker or as a business, to your point, the, the question I ask have people ask is, if I had to start over today, but I could not do anything I am currently doing or I've ever done, how would I do it? Again, ultimately, you're going to go and do a lot of the old stuff. But that constraint spurs so much creativity, because what most people do is they try to tweak a little bit, like, well, here's what we're doing. What's a new thing we can do? And it just it stops the creativity. So just killing your darlings, like you said, what if I couldn't do all the stories I'm used to in my speech? What if I couldn't do the exercises, the big opening I like so much? What? How would I rebuild this keynote? And when you embrace that, the creativity, the new ideas really get can be very exciting.
0: Yeah. And not to finish this bit with another cliche, but necessity really is the mother of it. It is. I mean, we can have a cliche on. Anyway. <laughs> um, cool. So um, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, what in your mind are the specific business skills that improvisation tools can help businesses with? And I know we've probably touched on a few, but there may be more that, you, that you're able to share about.
1: Uh, sure, so there's a lot. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of hit the, the big ones that I talk about. The, the fundamental one that I talk about, and it's foundational to improv comedy, I didn't invent it, is the idea of saying yes and instead of yes but. And in improv, it's if I'm working with you on a scene or a story... If you make a suggestion to me, I'm not going to say, yeah, but, and go with my own idea, kind of like you said, if I had a preset, but rather say yes to what you're saying and then build off of it. And this simple shift is so powerful when it comes to communication. Uh, It's To me, it's the ultimate customer service principle. If you could do nothing else but get all of your employees to start from a place of yes and, customer service would automatically improve. Teamwork would get better. Leadership would improve. Innovation would open up. um, Just because the yes but, keeps everything very confined to like me and what I want and what I already know. And yes, and forces you to open up, um, step into something new. And from a communication standpoint, you know I I quote Stephen Covey in in my talks a lot. And one of his habits of seven habits of highly effective people is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And this simple one word shift from but to and just embraces the whole thing. Because if we're talking and you have an idea and I have an idea, when I say yes, but what I'm saying is, yeah, but I want you to hear my idea. When I say yes, and I say yes, and let me try to understand more of what you're saying first. And it seems overly simplistic, but that simple idea just it, it changes everything in communication. So that that's usually where I start as the foundation of most of my programs, or it's my big finish, depending on the type of talk. <laughs> um, so that's that's one of the big ones. Uh, we talked we talked a little bit about creativity and innovation obviously with improv comedy, you have to be creative. You have to not only be creative, you have to think quickly. And so the same skills that let you respond to a random suggestion from your partner or the audience, you know, they're the same that can let you help you pivot in a presentation or respond to an unexpected question. Or if you have a big meeting, but your PowerPoint deck dies right before, like, how do you respond quickly to that? So those are two of the big ones. I mean, I don't know how many you want to go into like I said. There's lots we can do, but those no, are two of the biggest ones I talk about.
0: Yeah, no, that's perfect. And they are and they're vital, especially in the current circumstances, nothing more vital than those uh for businesses navigating the new landscape we we are all finding ourselves in. <laughs> so, okay. So, one of the things that I did want to ask you from the speaking spe- perspective because this is a speaking club is how did you navigate getting the balance right in your keynotes between practical tools, motivation and entertainment, because that is a testimonial that I read about you was that you got the sweet Mm -hmm. spot. So how did you work out how to put that in? How did you manage that balance?
1: I start with 50 50. I try to keep it about half. Uh, And then, you know, not having all the answers, I try to find out from the client what they're looking for, because some, you know, for an opening conference keynote, they want I'm trying to dig deep for their business problems. They're like, yeah, we just want people buzzing and excited and other groups. They're like, yeah, you know, we want to have, we want to start with a bang, but you know, we're having this rollout and people are resisting it. So I, I strive for a 50 50 and you know, finding the balance like everything was, was experimentation. I think because what I do is so entertainment based that when I started, I leaned too far to content. I think I was, insecure of looking too silly or not being serious enough that I made everything kind of more contenty. And again, that 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 redesign I told you about when I threw things out and put them back in is when I, one of the things I did is I put back in stuff that was more fun, fun for me in front of the audience. And that's when people started reacting. So I, I started 50-50. I think for each person, I think it starts by why are people hiring you is kind of the big question. And then just taking it from there.
0: And so why do you think people hire you?
1: I think they hire me number one for the energy and humor. That's one thing I hear a lot. It's to to open things up with energy or um, kind of the mid conference. If it's like a multi-day event to kind of get people back into it. Uh, So that's where the humor, the interactivity and the energy really help. And the second is, and I I tell people this, like, I'm not the deep dive content guy. So uh, it's just, they hire me to give a little mindset shift, right? Like say yes. And instead of yes, but let's open our minds. Let's, be, it's a little frowned upon to talk about inspiration, motivation, but I I get that word from my clients a lot, like people a little inspired and motivated, you know, and, but they do, they always say they want some practical tips as well. I think the two that are kind of even are energy and entertainment and, you know, that mindset motivation. And then, you know, a couple things they can apply right away. So that's where I give, I try to have everything have an action item to it. Like, when you when you're out back at work, do this so that they have something they can hold on to that's tangible.
0: I think I think actually, in some senses, you're underselling the impact that less can have in terms of people walking away with some very powerful, you know, a few powerful big ideas, rather than being overwhelmed with stuff that they then can't work out how how to implement it. So So I think, in terms of, I I personally—that's just my opinion—having looked at some of your your talks, you know, and seen some of the the reviews of your talks, I think possibly underselling yourself a little bit there on the content side.
1: Probably, I'm I'm insecure and I fancy myself a bit of an intellectual. (laughs) So, I mean,
0: when I'm reading a book,
1: I like it when they put in stories, but I get annoyed when it's story after story after story. (laughs) Um. And I kind of feel that way in my talk. I honestly feel when I'm talking, I always do interactive improv. I get volunteers. I have them do an exercise because I feel like I'm droning on if I've talked for too long without doing something. And even if the audience is engaged and loving it, like that's it. Just I've been doing this interactive performing thing for so long that I think you're probably right. I do undersell that like the power of like less because I've tried to develop a one topic, like a one point keynote, and I always struggle. With that, because even when I have a one-point keynote, it's still got three subpoints in there. <laughs>
0: well, that's good though, and I, I'm not with you on the story thing because my whole thing is if you tell a story, you get a shift in. But like, I'm sure you get bigger shifts in perspective from from the interactive, the storytelling, then than you do, you know, with the data and the facts and stuff. So, i you know. Like that's oh, I agree challenge. with you on
1: that I'm just saying when it's like five <laughs> stories where I'm like I got the point after the first one oh, it just feels yeah. like they're padding out the book to get to 300 pages when I'm like this would be a magnificent 120 page book <laughs>
0: so, oh yeah no I'm with you on that yeah I'm with you but that's back to the less is more kill your darling that is that is exactly your, that milk it to death um brilliant okay so um I think we covered how you went about getting your first speaking gig so it was much very much about you, know, you talked about marketing yourself to associations and stuff. Was that like a, a slog? Did you have to keep going back? Did you pique the curiosity enough to, to, to do it with a one shot? How, how did that happen?
1: Uh, so it depends if you're asking me when I got my first speaking gig or when I got my first paid speaking gig. Uh,
0: uh, paid, I guess.
1: <laughs> so, so my first paid gigs came really in two ways around the same time. One was kind of network referral type thing you know, reaching out to my friends saying here's what I'm doing and they put me in touch with someone who could, could book me uh, so that was nice but the association way was that was showcasing right that was speaking for free a lot at the associations like the local HR chapter or training and development chapter or rotary and then having someone in the audience say oh can you come do that uh, for our group so that's kind of how it started yeah my when I started, yeah, the initial outreach to a paid gig, like cold outreach, uh, very, it did work. When I, I finally started cold calling at one point, which is miserable. And I, and I kept a number every time. My 298th time I dialed a phone, that led to a booking, which was miserable. But I said, okay, Avish, just do 300 dials and you'll get another booking. And I did 300 more. I didn't get another booking. And so I just, I, I just stopped doing that because I'm like... I. <laughs> Hated it. Uh, be so destroying. Yeah, so, but it was it's mostly word of mouth, showcase and referral. It wasn't until much later that I got a very kind of strategic, targeted email marketing plan and that started working. But to your point about it's it was very rarely, if ever, a one and done, like get the initial email and then follow up and check in. And, you know, once in a rare while, it happens very quickly, but usually it's a lot of put them in the, oh, they're booked this year. All right, fine. Put them in the calendar for next year and so on and so on.
0: Cool. so, so it, it is about you know it is about being resilient and and persistent and keeping on going but um that's fantastic so tell me about the new podcast tell me a little bit about that what what's that what has it gonna you know, if you're if you're able to if you're happy to
1: i hope so uh because we're hoping to launch this summer live and uh so this is a, a it's a two-person two-man show me and my uh, my best friend who also didn't problem me for a while So what we're doing is we've created a show where we are going to tell you short form improv games to tell long form improv stories uh, in the style of famous movies. So we start with a genre or a movie like a week or two ago we did slasher film. So we said, all right, we're going to improvise a whole slasher film. But what we do is we spend some time talking on the podcast about what goes into a slasher film about five minutes, like the tropes and the cliches. Yeah. Then we actually hash out an outline. We said, okay, well, we see kind of this and this, this happening. But then what we do, this is where we're kind of veers, because there, there are other long-form improv shows. The thing I haven't come across is what we then do is we say, okay, we've broken our movie into like four acts. For act one, we're going to play this improv game. And for act two, we're going to play this game. And for act three, so we're telling a continuous long-form story, but each act is told with a different improv game. So you get the wackiness, the silliness of like Ding. Like we just played Ding in one of the ones we just did. So the story, you think it's going here and it, veer way off. And we're finalizing the tech and the content. It's been more fun than I've had doing improv ever. It's something I'm very creatively proud of. And like I said, it's unique. I, I haven't really come across anyone doing the combination of long and short. So I'm, I'm, I'm super jazzed about it. Where it's going to go business-wise, I don't know. Um, it may just stay a pure entertainment thing. But now the way my mind works is in the back of my head, I'm like, how could you replicate this as a keynote? you know, how could you use this kind of structure of building it? So I'm not sure where that is right now, but so yeah, I'm super excited about, about that.
0: That's brilliant. And have you got a title for it yet, Avish?
1: Yes. So the podcast is, well, it depends when this goes live, but the podcast isn't live yet at the time we're recording this, but the title will be in a world of dot, dot, dot improvised movie homages. So, it. and the stories will all start with like in a world of, and yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. And hopefully at the time of this, the, uh, So we have a pre-launch page. So our web, my buddy's name is Mike. So we have a website called avishandmike.com where if the show's not live yet, there's like a pre-launch page. And if it is live, then that's where all the info about the show will be.
0: Brilliant. And we'll put put a link to that. And I want to uh, ask you some more about how people can find you and work with you later. But I have some standard questions to ask you before we shift into that. Okay, absolutely. If that's okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. So um, what's the best thing that speaking has ever done for you?
1: Well, okay. That's a big question. Well, I guess the, the easy answer is it's allow it's, you know, afforded me a lifestyle where I can kind of have some freedom and control and spend time at home with the kids and family. So that's very true because you work from home, you know, uh, until coronavirus that changed some things, but you know, my wife was able to be stay at home and I was able to be home. We got two little kids. So from a logistics side, that's been wonderful. From the artistic side, it's given me a chance to, to like do the creative self-expression thing. Like when you're writing, when you're doing your own words and your own performance, whether it's as a straight speech or combination of performance, like for me, the reason I still do it, it's this concept of getting to the flow state, which is this psychology thing uh, I'm sure you're familiar with. And for me, speaking in improv is a chance to get in that state. It's like blissful. So there's like the logistic, the money, the lifestyle. But then for me, the creative, it's just the, the most fun thing you can do, which is getting up in front of an audience and getting the response.
0: That's lovely. I love that. Yeah, we've often talked about flow on here before. And obviously, Mahali, and, and yeah. that that timeless where you're completely present, almost meditative state when you're in that moment. That, you know, that's that it's a beautiful place to be. So that's, that's lovely to hear. OK, and what's the worst speaking gig you've had? Is there one that you're just like, oh, my God, no, I wish I could forget that. But it happened. That sort of thing.
1: Yeah, there's been uh yeah i'm trying to think. There's probably two or three jump to mind <laughs> <laughs> i'm do this for a while so i got a couple we've all got clungers you know there's one it was it was a company was having like annual like meeting and awards night uh so um, number one it was after dinner which is i can do because i'm a humorist they want to put me there but with improv it's not the best spot for me open bar which never helps and the two things that really worked against me for this number one is that uh, it's the first time they had any kind of like motivational speaker, so no one was expecting it. And number two, there was, there was no like good setup by the person running the meeting. And what I mean by that is they had their break. And when they came back from break, rather than the person saying, all right, we're going to start, we've got a speaker. She literally doesn't write into my introduction. I think people were very confused. And when I came out, oh, and the third thing, and this is really weird. You wouldn't expect this. It was a little bit less time. So what I did is I always start with ding, like I said, and I get a volunteer, For this, they had me kind of pre-select my volunteer, which you think would be good. They set me up with this person and we did kind of a practice run through. And she was terrible with ringing the bell. (laughs) And then she like said some things in the middle when I was performing and it's fine, you flow with it. But it threw everything off right from the beginning. Every time I have had a pre-selected volunteer, it has gone far worse than when I just bring up a totally random person from the audience. It's like the company or groups like oh this person would be great and that person is never great <laughs> and i think you've done improv the- so you know i think the skills that <laughs> someone thinks would lead to someone doing good improv are not the skills that lead to someone doing good improv no is it is it
0: because they had the sort of me 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 person come forward? yeah like they the can't spotlight. Person. they want the spotlight
1: yeah, there they just started they would talk in the middle of it they think they're being clever It's like, no, really the hard, you know, every time we back when I did improv as a straight performance, my group, we'd have a little chant before we go on stage. And the two last two things we'd say is have fun and make each other look good. And that is the antithesis of like the company clown. Oh, they're such a good, they'd be great for this. Like, no, no, they want the spotlight. They don't, their first goal is not to make the other person look good. Their first goal is to say something funny. And so that was probably the worst one. And yeah, I was one of those where I just like tried to leave and uh, (laughs) I is like oh this is terrible you can just feel that feeling in the audience when you're not you know that's one of the few times they gave me the feedback forms which at this point i was still reading them which was stupid um <laughs> it was on a scale of one to ten the average was significantly lower than i'm used to getting but like what i had like a one someone put a one on there and the comments are i did not like the motivational speaker i'm like ah man just move on from this one <laughs> like, just let it go i, I love that and th- i
0: think this isn't really another a big point about improv. So, so my background was in stand-up before I did improv. Mm-hmm. And what they always used to, they always used to warn stand-ups, like, don't do improv like you would do st- your stand-up quality. Don't go for the joke. It's not about you. It's about the group. And like Hugh said, I, the job is to make everyone else, that you know, that everyone to look good. Um, and so many people struggled with that, you know, just going to gag and killing actual the, the improv. So that's really... It is a team thing, which is another aspect of it, I think, which works really well for corporations.
1: Imagine if everyone at your company came to work and the, the, the two things they thought about all day was have fun and make each other look good. Like, how great would that work culture be if those were the two pervading thoughts people had all day?
0: Yeah, And not cut, cut each other's straight to get the next ladder up. On
1: the pole. Yeah, like, <laughs> how can I make myself look good? How can I get credit for this? And how can I cover my own butt and make sure I don't get, like... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's such a simple Sorry, thing. I line up
0: for this?
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> I'll put in the firing line for this one. Right. Okay, <laughs> cool. Next one. Um, what's the best? Well, what's the book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why?
1: Uh oh boy. So so many. I mean, I'm a constant reader. I'll I'll pick, I mean, I could probably give you 10. I'll I'll pick the one that jumps to mind. Is probably the one thing by Gary Keller. It's a New yeah. York Times best. So it's a, it's a simple book. I advise you to support him and buy the book, but it's literally comes down to one thing, which is in any case, identify though there is one thing that's going to ultimately determine success. It's going to make everything else easier or unnecessary. And by rigorously identifying and focusing on that, you can make much faster progress, much bigger games, and really work towards your dreams one small step at a time it's, it's a book I reread regularly and remind myself of constantly, like what's the one thing in this project that I need to do to move the forward. Um, And in improv, it's true, right? In improv, because what you said about when someone comes with a preset idea, you know, what I would say is um, the minute someone thinks they know where the scene or story is going is the minute they're in trouble. Cause now they're, if you just look at what's the one next step I can take to move this forward, like that, is a very improv mindset one step at a time just focus on the next step what's the one thing I can do um so I could probably come up with eight other answers if you ask me the question over and over again but that's probably the one that jumped to mind the most
0: no it's it's a great book and I'll put a link to it in the show notes I had it written on my wall at one point the whole one thing oh, did
1: you yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's, a powerful it's, question. it's a good book
0: now next question there's only two more what's the best bit of business advice you've had and why
1: Uh, So this is something that I heard years ago and it took me about five years after I heard it to actually implement it. But when I did, my business got better. And that's something I heard from Larry Wingett, who's a author and national speaker association speaker. Um, And I heard him say, business is simple. You just have to uh, be absolutely amazing at what you do and ask lots of people to hire you. He said, if you're not as successful as you want to be, you're either not good enough or you're not asking people to hire you. And You know, we do all these things with content marketing and web SEO and let me get my materials waste, especially if you're earlier. If you just focus on be as good as you can be and a little trick here, no matter how good you are, you can be better. (laughs) And number two, ask lots of people to hire you, whether that's networking, cold, emailing or calling, whatever it is. Those two things, once you focus on those two things, the one thing, that's two things, focus on those, business kind of grows and takes care of itself.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. That is that is really good advice. Okay. Last question. If you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why?
1: Wow, that's a fascinating question. So I'll go back to my idols. So people ask me, like, who's your improv role model, this and that speaking? I don't have any of that. Uh, not that I don't respect a lot of people, but my biggest artistic um, inspiration comes from a rock band called Rush. They've been around for 40 years. Their famous song is Tom Sawyer, their Canadian creo. I love them. They're my favorite band. I got a Facebook group like, that I've dedicated to them that I run. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks. But okay. they're considered like virtuosos at what they do. That's who I would say, because they. I, I watch lots of interviews with them. They are um, creative. What I love about them is as I they innovate. They Um, are always learning new things and trying new things. And um, I would love to have them mentor me, not in musicianship, but just in creativity. So Rush is very innovative. And that's what I try to do with my speaking and with my improv. It's not to just do the same thing all the time, but to constantly ask, how can I do this better? And oftentimes doing something new makes it worse, but you got to try that to get to the better. Um, So they would be my mentors, not from the music side and not because they'd give me specific improver speaking but from an artistic and entertainer and performer standpoint just that mindset of constant creativity and growth and always trying to get better um just to follow their example is what i would like to do
0: brilliant i love that i haven't i haven't come across them and well have i i might recognize something but i haven't consciously uh, come across <laughs> them so i will check check them out good thank you so much for everything that you've shared uh today there's been some amazing stuff that i think will be really helpful both for life for business and also for speakers uh who are are pursuing that as a career that's that's amazing if people want to find out more about you to book you to speak or to do some training with you where's the best place for them to go avish
1: so the best place is my website is dinghappens.com. that's d-i-n-g happens.com there's video clips and information about the speaking and the training and, and a contact form there if they have questions.
0: Good. And you've also written a couple of books and I'm going to put the link to the books in the show notes too. Do you want to just give the titles of those?
1: Uh, sure. So one is Say Yes And, which is all about this idea of yes and we talked about. Uh, and the other is Improvise to Success, which is uh, was my first book. It's a general like 16 principles to apply to business and life from the world of improv.
0: Amazing. So is there anything that you think is left to say to call this uh, interview complete that we haven't covered?
1: Whoa, uh, that's a high pressure question. <laughs> no, it's a, <laughs> uh, I, I had a wonderful time. I think, um, you know everything I'd want to talk about, I think you, uh, you asked. I mean, the only thing I'd say is whether you're speaking or in business, if you ever had the itch to try improv comedy, uh, I always recommend people do it. If for nothing else, it should be just one of the most fun classes of anything you'll ever take.
0: Uh, and I will second that. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Best of luck with everything that you're doing. I will definitely check out the podcast. It sounds like something I would really enjoy. And uh, and good luck with that.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah.
0: I had so much fun talking with Avisha, and I hope you enjoyed it too and picked up some useful tips for your speaking as well. I loved his honesty in sharing the downs, as well as the ups of his speaking journey. Do go and check out Avish's new podcast, his website and so on. We've put a link to all of the the pages and websites in the show notes. And also, if you get a chance, connect with him on social media. Look him up on LinkedIn and let him know if you enjoyed the show and what your biggest takeaway was. Now, another place where no two weeks are the same is the Speaking Club Live. See, if you've got a talk, a podcast launch, a webinar or podcast interview coming up, and you want to test your content, work on your speaking skills, try out your marketing message, and get coaching and feedback, then The Speaking Club Live is for you. We've got authors, business leaders, coaches, and experts in a brilliant community. And of course, you get to work with me one-to-one in my Hot Speak sessions so that you can nail your messaging and delivery. Why don't you come and try it out for a month? You can check it out at www.saraharcher.co.uk slash club well that's it for this week thank you so much for joining me if you love the show please go and leave a review at ratethispodcast.com slash tsc i will be so grateful and I'll be back soon to share some more insights tips and tools about growing your audience and business through speaking as a marketing tool and in the meantime don't you forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. Each week we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking, from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humour and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.